Well, here we are. And Christmas is sneaking upon us, um, or perhaps it's hit us hard already. Looking around, it's uh, hit a few people pretty hard. Anna and Louise, as we've already said, Christmas tree up. Uh, look at the two Joshes and Rachel, if you scroll down, big Christmas lights behind them. Uh, if you can, of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can't, but if, uh, if you can see the augers as well. Um, just look at it. There's a bit of bling uh, on, uh, on, on Catherine's uh, jumper. Um, here we are. For some of us, Christmas has hit hard. We had a stroll around Langford yesterday uh, and it's suggested to us that Christmas has come earlier than ever. But it's everything us British want to talk about, isn't it? Oh, how early can Christmas come? Do you know what? Today I heard Helen this morning, um, even pressure from the inside to say this weekend is the weekend. It must be the weekend to get the Christmas decor up. Alas, sorry, Helen, we've not followed your lead on this. And I think a key indicator uh, for me is uh, I was thinking about a Spotify playlist a couple of weeks ago, tempted uh, to uh, click in the Advent playlist. And I turned to Kez and just said, no, 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 not yet. Not until the 29th of November, not until the first day of Advent. But here it, is, here it is. And how are you feeling about the prospect of Christmas again? Look, it has been exciting. Simon's already said this. It's been exciting because many of you have been working on the Advent windows with the Christmas story window trail. Uh, we had a little Zoom call this afternoon. I just sneaked into that uh, to have a, a sneaky peek at some of the windows that are on offer. And it looks brilliant. It looks amazing. If you're able to get around Vista uh, to these different houses, do. And even more importantly, uh, as Chris uh, and as uh, Anna and Louise and Katie have helped us see, real opportunity to engage our friends in the real Christmas message. But here we go as a church tonight, turning our attention to Advent. It's a time of expectancy, a time of waiting, a time of preparation for both the celebration of the birth of Jesus as we reflect and look back and think again of the enormity of what the Lord Jesus has done. But it's also a time of waiting for the coming back of the Lord Jesus, his second coming. That's what Advent is all about, always on the fourth Sunday before Christmas. And as Simon said, we're starting a series called The First Songs of Christmas. See in Luke's Gospel, and believe it or not, and if you can remember or not, um, Luke is the, has been the gospel that we've been following throughout uh, this year. We always try and pick one gospel uh, and dive in at different stages. Uh, of our uh, year together at Town Church. And so in Luke's gospel, there are several recorded songs around the birth of Jesus. And we're gonna have a little look at them. Several songs that Luke has recorded uh, for a reason. Can you name the all time best selling Christmas number one? Have a chat now, 10 seconds, little quiz. If you've got someone sitting next to you, no problem if not. The all-time best-selling Christmas number one. It's not Mariah Carey. Band-Aid. Do they know it's Christmas? There's the all-time Christmas num number one. If Luke was speaking into this now, what would he say? Perhaps the angels. Glory to God in the highest. We'll go there. 
That's Luke's equivalent of Band-Aid. But do you know what the nation's five favourite Christmas carols are? And we're going to pick out five songs uh, that Luke records right at the beginning of his gospel. The five nation's favourite Christmas carols in this order, coming in at number five, Oh Come All You Faithful. That's pretty standard, isn't it? Oh Come All You Faithful. Knew that that would be up there. Number four, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. Yep, standard, pretty good. Number three, I was surprised at this, In the Bleak Midwinter. You know there's a line in there, snow was falling, snow on snow, snow and snow and snow, something like that. I lost my head as a child singing that one. Number two, always at the top, Silent Night. Number one, do you know what the nation's favourite carol is at this time? Number one, I don't think it's a carol. We can't sing it. We'll probably not sing it at town church. Oh, holy night. Now, if Chris or John was uh, singing, if we were live, it would just be great to ask those two boys to play Oh, holy night and see if they can hit. There, Chris fancies it if they can hit the top notes of Oh Holy Night, perhaps we should do it. There's the nation's five favourites, but here's Luke's five favourites. We're starting tonight with Elizabeth's song. Um, look, I've kind of forced it a little bit to make it a song, but we'll see how we can include it a little bit later. Then we go to Mary's song, we go to Zechariah's song, we go to the angel's song, we go to Simeon's song. Five songs that Luke recorded. And we asked Ros to read a, a big chunk of chapter one to get the feeling of what's happened, of what Luke is recording. There are three ingredients that we think are crucial, that Luke thinks are crucial in setting up these first Christmas songs. You see, what we'll see amongst many other things, that these songs are full of truth, they're full of grace, and they're full of promise. And at Town Church, we need to be reminded that there are songs that hold truth, real truth, songs that hold grace, songs that hold promise at Christmas. So let's go with truth. And before we go to Elizabeth's song, have a look at this quote with me. Who are we? We find that we live on an insignificant planet, I think, of a humdrum star lost in a galaxy tucked away in some forgotten corner of a universe in which there are far more galaxies than people. Who's this? An American scientist called Carl Sagan says, here's the reality. Insignificant planet. A humdrum star lost in a galaxy, tucked away in some forgotten corner. This is who we are. Don't think that we're anything more. This is who we are. Our mere existence means that we can define our essence, say the scientists. And Luke is saying something quite different. Because Luke is saying, no, no, no. <laughs> it's not that we're just random. It's not that we live in a time of randomness, where things aren't true, where things have not got objective truth in this world. He says, far from it. 
we could say right at the beginning, this is why Luke writes his account of truth. It's not random. It's truth. Remember chapter one, verses one to four. Luke says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Three things there. See what Luke is saying? Look, many have undertaken to write up these things. I'm not on my own, says Luke. <laughs> There's been many before me and many uh, after me. Look, here I am, and many are talking about this. And then he talks about carefully investigated. He's a doctor. He's very careful about the account that he puts together through eyewitnesses, those who have been there. And you see there in, chapter, in verse four, so that you may know the certainty. Here's Luke's main reason for writing the whole of his gospel. He writes to Theophilus. We don't know for sure who Theophilus was. A man with importance, probably someone of high rank, of real importance. And that his readers would know for certain the things that they have been taught. So that we at Town Church, as we read these words... We would read the truth behind these words and the truth would change us and the truth would compel us and the truth would give us certainty in an uncertain world. But you see, truth is such a loaded term. You see what Luke is saying? He's saying, look, Theophilus, I don't expect you to blindly believe Theophilus, I don't expect you to take a leap of faith in the dark. That's not what this truth is all about. It's not what faith in truth is all about. No. But isn't that what many of our friends might think? Perhaps that's even what you think tonight. You just come to have a look at town church and you think, oh, you, you're crazy to believe that. You're crazy to really believe in the Christmas story. God, I can never believe what you do. I, I don't know how you can believe something that is not scientifically proven. But Luke is saying, no, no, Theophilus and all my readers, Christian faith follows the evidence. And Luke is saying to Theophilus and to us tonight, look, I, I invite you to read. I invite you to follow the evidence of the eyewitnesses to see what really happened. It's real. I'm going to order my material. I'm a doctor. I'm going to order my material that I've captured from eyewitnesses. I'm going to order it so that you can follow the golden thread of seeing who this man Jesus is as a baby, who is promised long ago, who came as a baby, and then see what he came to do so that you may know for absolute certainty. Luke is saying, this is not subjective truth. It, this cannot just be my truth or your truth. Luke from the beginning suggests that this is objective truth. Truth that stands out of my being. Truth that stands out of my existence. 
works. It doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on whether I believe it or not. And it's a good thing this Christmas, in the run-up to Christmas, to have a good apologetic for truth. It's a good thing to do. Listen, book recommendation. Get this on your Christmas list. I've enjoyed reading it. I'm about halfway through. Confronting Christianity. Rebecca McLaughlin, she takes 12 hard questions for the world's largest religion. And it's great. She's thinking about apologetics and how equipping the Christian to answer such hard questions like truth, subjective or objective. But you see, the funny thing is in this time, in this day and age, that we live in a time when truth is not trusted at all. It's no longer regarded as the fabric that holds our society together. Do you know, even in 2016, the Oxford Dictionary word of the year was post-truth, hyphen in between to make it one word, post-truth, meaning that objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief are. So think about it. We heard in the news, the sad news this week um, of Maradona. And the death of Maradona, the great footballing genius, the icon. And in an interview, uh, the interviewer said, suggested, uh, and Maradona said, uh, well, listen, that goal against England, it was the hand of God. And he said, if you're an Argentina fan, you believe it. Objective facts, less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion. Argentine fans genuinely believed that it was the hand of God because that was emotively connecting with them. Or take politics, the American election, less fought over hard objective truth, rather shaped by public opinion through emotional rhetoric or feeling. And it could be the critique of Christianity. Here's Carl Sagan again. He says this, you cannot convince a believer of anything. For their belief is not based on evidence. It's based on a deep-seated need to believe. There's our American scientist friend. And Luke is saying from the outset, I have no time for subjectivity. I have no time for appealing to the emotions and personal belief if it suits you today, if it doesn't tomorrow. Luke is saying, no, 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 I'm not in the business of that. I have carefully investigated objective truth. I've carefully looked at things that really happened. I've ordered them carefully with clarity so that you may know the certainty of these marvellous moments that have changed the course of history forever. You know, the historical credibility for the written Gospels is simply overwhelming. They're not up for debate. But today, that's not really the debate in our post-truth world. People sadly don't put weight in objective truth. We want to think what we want is true. And today, as town church, it's a good day to remind ourselves, I think, 
if you have a Christian faith, you haven't made a blind leap in the dark. You haven't. Christian faith follows the evidence. And in these times of uncertainty, when these things we know for certain have been thrown up and tossed around, the things that we really trusted in have been thrown up, tossed around. Today is a good day at the beginning, beginning of Advent to remind yourself that this is true. As you make your Advent windows, this isn't some fairy tale. It's not wishful thinking, it's truth. It's wonderful, golden, objective truth. And Luke wants us to know this for certain, for sure. That's a prelude to all of the songs that we're going to look at in the next four weeks. Second, let's look at grace. Read verse 23 and 25 with me, it will appear uh, on the slide. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. We won't look at the story of Zechariah in the temple, but we'll look at Elizabeth's response. Zechariah returns home after his priestly duties of offering sacrifice. And he has an encounter with an angel. He's not believed the message of the angel that his wife will give birth to John, the predecessor of Jesus, the one who will make way for Jesus. But Elizabeth says, he has shown me favour. He has shown me grace. Here is a gift I could never expect in my elderly years. She goes on, he has taken away my disgrace from among the people. You see, childlessness was considered a punishment from God. And it seems that Elizabeth has had to put up with much reproach from among the people. Perhaps behind her back, perhaps in front of her face. Elizabeth, what have you done wrong? What are you hiding that God would punish you in such a way by not giving you children? See, a child in her old age that she could never expect. A gift of a newborn baby, her own. She didn't know how special this child was. She was waiting, waiting until Zachariah could speak again. But the public disgrace was taken away. Can't quite pass for the first song, not quite. Can't quite pass as the first Christmas song. But I'm sure Elizabeth burst into song as the reality of her pregnancy was dawning on her. And we'll see that over the course of these four weeks, these first songs of Christmas are full of grace because they speak of a time when God moved. He shifted the scientific equations to be with us. God as man, full of grace, with a message of hope, with an act of rescue. One more quote from our friend Carl Sagan. He says this, in our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. It is up to us. See what he's saying? There's no objective truth about 
a divine out there who created. That's wishful thinking, subjective. If it helps you, no problem. But there's no one who's going to help us from outside. We're the only ones that can help ourselves. Luke says no. Because God has rescued us from the disgrace, from the shame, the barrier of sin that was created to stop us from approaching a holy God. We've been looking at that throughout the book of Leviticus. John is so helpfully helped us see the holy God who can come close to him. Sacrifice kept God with us, but it didn't deal with the punishment of sin. And here's God's rescue plan in motion. God has shown us his favour and he has dealt with our disgrace. It's that wonderful verse in Before the Throne of God Above. Verse two, I think it is, when Satan tempts me to despair, tells me of the guilt within, the disgrace within, upward I look, I see him there who made an end of all my sin. And because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Can I beg you, friend, not to despair today? Don't despair. Don't let Satan remind you of your disgrace. Because if you trust in Jesus, as we think about the coming of Jesus, if he's yours, then you have no disgrace before God today. No disgrace. He has come to save out of love, out of kindness, out of grace. And he's been so, so very gracious to you. Three ingredients for the first Christmas songs. Truth, grace, promise. Read with me uh, verses 39 onwards. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we join the story just after Mary has been visited by the angel. And here's Mary's response of the angel's words to her. She wants to go and see. Her best friend, it looks like. There's just a, a wonderful need and urgency for Mary to go and visit Elizabeth. She hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea. She was so eager to share the news. And look, before Mary got a chance to open her mouth, there's a greeting. And the baby John leaps in the womb of Elizabeth as Elizabeth is filled with the spirit. Let's read on. Verse 42, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And I think this can qualify for the first ever official song of Christmas. See the word there in a loud voice. That's now a poem. It's an exclamation. It's like she's gone into song form. 
Look what she sings about. Blessed is Mary. She thanks God for Mary. That's what she's doing. The most special of women. Why? Not because women's, sorry, not because Mary's the most special of women in and of herself. It's not because she is special, but it's because of what is happening inside her, within her. And Elizabeth says, why am I so favoured? Why again have I been given grace? A gift that I feel that I do not deserve. This is grace. That the baby you are carrying, Mary, is the Lord. See, 25 times the word Lord appears in chapters 1 and 2. Exalted title for the Messiah, the awaited king who God would send. Verse 45 is the wonderful contrast of Mary Elizabeth versus Zachariah. She believed. But the drive of the sentence, the drive of the sentence in verse 45 is towards the fulfillment of God's promise. See that she affirms the fulfillment would take place, not because of Mary's great belief that the promise might take place. But because of the one who promised it would take place. The one who promised is faithful to keep his promises. God makes a promise. It equals fulfillment. The promise of God is as good as done. Oh, can you imagine that wonderful scene? The two women. And Luke is keen throughout Luke's gospel. He's he's keen to highlight and to lift up the marginalised in society. The women, the elderly, the poor are the ones for whom the kingdom belongs to. And he takes time to dive into this story. And it's wonderful if you peel back the layers. Look, there's no hint of jealousy from Elizabeth towards Mary carrying the predecessor. As Elizabeth carries John, the one who comes before Jesus, there's no hint of jealousy. There's simple joy, grace. Why, God, would you give me this favour? See, John the Baptist didn't see it until the day Jesus was baptised. But Elizabeth, his mother, sees it in a moment. It's a challenge for us this Advent. We see again that the king has come. The one whom God promised has arrived. The one whom all the sacrificial system points to has come as the one to be sacrificed. It's time to trust in the great promises of God, to know for certainty that because he has already come, he will come again to make all things new. The promise that he will hold you fast to your very last day. So here's our challenge as a church. Chris said it throughout the the secularisation of Christmas. Will we hold fast to truth? Will we hold fast to the songs of grace? Will we hold fast to the songs of promise? Flood your Spotify playlist with songs that point to the Lord Jesus. Let's join the first songs of Christmas and celebrate. The King has arrived.